This afternoon I preach to you the word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 27. We see what the church confesses, what the scriptures teach about the sacrament of baptism. Lord's Day 27, you can read that, on, find that on page 541 in the book of praise. Here the church confesses, does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Christ, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. Should infants too be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin, and the Holy Spirit who works faith are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism as sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the New Covenant. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, beloved congregation children, when you hear that, those words, did you know that this includes you? The minister begins a sermon. He speaks to everyone in front of him, adults and children as well, older children and younger children. The message of the gospel, the promise of life in Jesus Christ comes to believers and their children. The fact that we have a catechism in our hands. It was made so that we could teach the children as well about the promises that God gives to them as they are part of the covenant and the congregation. So the children today in this building, the children of believers, they can know that they are separate from the world and they belong to God's covenant and congregation. Even the children in the nursery who do not understand all this may know that that is what scripture teaches and that's also what I preach to you this afternoon that children belong to God's covenant and congregation. And we will see the controversy surrounding infant baptism as this also comes out in our confession. The second place we'll see the consequences of infant baptism and in the final point we'll see the confirmation of infant baptism. 
There can be no doubt that when we look back in history and we look back to what's called the Protestant Reformation, the 16th century, it was a time when the church was looking at everything they were doing and analyzing it. They were reflecting on the practices. They were correcting what did not fit with what Scripture taught. And there were some huge changes that took place. It's maybe hard for us to imagine exactly what it was like, but the whole government of the church and the whole relationship between the, the church and the state, it was, was completely changed. All of a sudden, the, the position of your leaders compared to the state was a, a completely different story. There were seven sacraments, and all of a sudden there were two. They threw out five sacraments at that time, the time of the Protestant Reformation. For hundreds of years, they had all these sacraments, and all of a sudden, there was only two left. The celebration of the Mass was completely overhauled. The whole thinking behind it was, was changed, and it was brought in line with what Scripture teaches. The, the man at that time said the Mass is an accursed idolatry, and they changed how it was done. The focus the time, and, and if you read some of the liturgy, was really on personal piety. The, the men of the Reformation and the women and the children as well, they were really focused on what does it mean to, to be a Christian? What does it look like? Where, how does your life change? It's not just a name. It's not just a part of a, being a part of the state, but even how you live. Personal piety was very important. It was a, a time of much change, and so when the Protestant Reformation light beam focused itself on the Roman Catholic practice of baptism. It also exposed several weaknesses in, in the practice at that time. The ritual, the sign of baptism, together with church membership, had been separated from faith. It was just being administered to whoever and, and whenever it was connected to the, the register of, of, of being a citizen of a country. And, and, and people were looking at that and they said, that's not right. That separation between the sign of the covenant and faith is not right. Wicked men and wicked women were presenting their children for baptism and Rome was, was granting it to them, was baptizing these children. Maybe they even saw it as an act of charity, of, of love, because they believed that the water could, could wash away the sins. It was like a magical bit of water that could help these people along by taking away their original sin. And so just as the spiritual kingdom was confused with the temporal kingdom, the spiritual meaning of baptism was being confused with the, the physical sign of water. So with scriptures open, the reformers, and, and we could say then the church took a look at what was happening, and the light was shining on all these aspects of worship, and, and they were saying, well, this isn't, this isn't right, the way the baptism is being done. And they said the baptism cannot be taken and separated from the realm of the church. It cannot be separated from faith. Look at Old Testament circumcision. It was connected to believers, believers and their children. 
And then they said, and this is what you're saying with the water, that, that doesn't work. There is no such thing as magical holy water that can take away sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can take away sin. That's such an important statement. We still say it today when we talk about baptism. We say it's not the water, it's, it's Christ. Only Christ can take away sin. He's the only source of forgiveness. The water is a sign that is pointing to the work of Jesus Christ. If the water is magical, then faith in Jesus Christ is, is unnecessary. You don't need to have any commitment. And so the reformers made some important changes to baptism. What was being done, what it meant. It brought things back in line with scripture. But we see they didn't throw out everything. They rejected unbiblical practices, but they did not necessarily reject a, a group like Rome or the Roman church. It was a careful evaluation. Was there more that should have been done? That's the big question that the church thinks about today, the controversy even of today. Was there more that should have been done? There was another group at that time uh, they're known as Anabaptists. It's not connected to the Baptists of today, but the name was against baptism of, of infants. Or They're also known as radical reformers. If you want to see something taken right to the extreme, that's where you look. You look to the radical reformers. They wanted to see more done. They even renounced their allegiance to the state. They said, we belong to Christ and Christ alone. We don't need the state involved. They also threw off everything that Rome had been offering and was doing. They did not want to see helpless, ignorant people receiving the sign of baptism as if it were some magical sign that could change them. They were looking as well. They said, this isn't right. They opened their Bible in Mark 16, verse 16, which we also have in our confession as a statement about the institution of baptism. And there in the, in the history of the church, you see this group of radical reformers, and they read the verse. We have it today. It says there, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Well, that's, that seals the argument for those who take this position. It says that only... Believers should be baptized. Now when we look at this verse, we don't have a problem with what this verse is saying. It says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. We say, amen. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That's the promise of the gospel. But we don't agree with everything the radical reformers say. We don't agree that this means that only believers should be baptized. You see, the key word here is, is only. At one point in, in, in the recent history, I was involved with the churches. They were trying to have a bit of a change in the church. They wanted to be more reformed, but they had come from a very Baptist background. 
And the older men in this, in this denomination, as they were making a confession, they got to the question of baptism. And that, the, the main thing they wanted to say, they could talk about covenant all day long, but when it got to baptism, the main thing they wanted to emphasize is that only believers should be baptized, comma, and only believers. It's a very important word for those who take this position of the radical reformers. They wanted to say that baptism is exclusively related to public profession of faith, the professed faith of a person. And so what happens is all of a sudden the promises of baptism are, are separated from the covenantal promises of God. Baptism is separated from the covenant. And since we believe that baptism is a sign of the covenant, this is a very problematic position to take. The little word only we see all of a sudden makes a, a huge difference because all of a sudden the word only means to say that there is no room for God's work in families. There's no room for God's work in the covenant. You can only have church growth through individual conversions, through mission and evangelism. And so how do we respond? We know, we know, we open our Bibles, we see God has worked through families and through covenant since the very, very beginning. He built up his church through families, but he also builds up his church through mission and through individual conversions and through people professing their faith. And so then look how the catechism asks the question. It's, it's, the bigger, it's the most important question to do with baptism. The question is, should infants too be baptized? We don't like the word only. The question is, should infants too be baptized? We know that God builds up his church in different ways. We know that God works directly in the hearts that many come to the faith and profess their faith. We agree with you. We could say we agree with Mark 16 is what we, we preach and teach as well. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But now what about the second generation? What about the children of those who stand up and profess their faith? What do we do with our children who have special needs, who may never be able to come to the point where they can stand up and publicly profess their faith? What are you going to do with the children? That's what the, the question is. In the Old Testament, they were included. Could it be that in Christ's more gracious covenant, they're excluded? Are they born connected to Christ through their parents' faith? Or are the children of believers completely unconnected to Christ and the covenants until they profess their faith? That's the question. Should infants too be baptized? The question Points, points out a, a huge hole in the argument and the extreme reaction of the radical reformers. Scripture is very clear that God builds his church, that God gives his promises 
to families, to believers and their children. So the word only is clearly wrong. When Hebrews 6 talks about children of the covenant, it mentions that they taste and they see that the Lord is good. Paul, when he writes to the church, the New Testament church, he includes the children in his exhortation and he addresses the whole congregation as, as the saints. You can see that, for example, comparing Ephesians 1 verse 1 with Ephesians chapter 6. And so he shows that including the children in the promises and obligations of the covenant, the promises and obligation of worship and festivals where the grace of God is evident in the blood of the sacrifices and circumcision, this isn't something that just is in the Old Testament. Children don't only belong to the church and the covenant in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, but also in the New Testament. Those are the passages we read. The Lord Jesus was very clear. The children belong to the kingdom of heaven. Since as the Holy Spirit says in Acts 2 verse 39, the, the promise of the New Testament blessing is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And that's an interesting passage because it's Acts 2 verse 39, probably uh, referring to Isaiah 54 verse 13, which is speaking of the new covenant, the glory of the new covenant, mentioning children as well in the Old Testament. It's no surprise then that Paul baptized Lydia and her whole household in Acts 16. Baptized the jailer and his household. So as we look at this, we, we can see that children of believers have a special connection to Jesus Christ. It's not a hard argument to make. We can even say, well, there's not really any controversy here. The scripture is very clear that God speaks to the parents and he speaks to the children through the parents. Scripture is very clear that when God comes and he speaks to his people, he says, beloved congregation, he doesn't just mean the adults who have professed their faith. He means believers and their children. Children belong to God's covenant. They belong to God's congregation. So when should they receive the sign of this? As soon as they belong. As soon as it's clear that they belong. God tells you the children belong even before they are born. For this reason, they receive the sign of this covenant, the promises, the grace of God, even when they are young even before they understand all these things. Because in baptism, God is speaking to us. It's not that we're speaking to God. So what are the consequences then of those who, who baptize their children? What are the consequences of having children who belong to God's covenant and congregation? The first thing we do is we rejoice. We rejoice. We spend a lot of time as parents raising up children in the church. We spend time teaching, and it's a beautiful thing to see how God respects and blesses the families through whom 
He has been working since the beginning of the world. He sets believers and their children apart. And he pours out his blessings on all those who have received the sign of the covenant, all those who belong to God's covenant salvation. He doesn't have one word for babies and another word for older teenagers and another word for adults. It's one glorious announcement of the gospel of salvation and grace. There is one kingdom, one gospel of salvation, one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, one baptism, one... We all live by grace alone. Baptism as a sign of the covenant is a way that God makes it very clear to us that he says, you are my people. You live in the realm of my grace and my work, my spirit, and my word that has consequences for us as believers, as a congregation. We look at our children perhaps in a very different way than, than other parents and other adults, other congregations, look at their children. We see them as having these rich promises, uh, abiding in eternal promises beside them, even as their little babies in, in the cribs. It changes how we, we see them. They may live in the joy of faith from the moment they begin to understand. The Lord Jesus was talking to mothers in the covenant when he told them to let the children come to him. He means let the children hear the voice of the good shepherd in the preaching. Let them hear about the work of the triune God that has been promised to them no less than to adults. And so parents will begin teaching their children about where they are and what they should wear already when they are very young. Parents will begin explaining to them how the triune God has, has set them apart, who will walk with them, he will encourage them, he will lead them and guide them. They will connect their children to the preaching by explaining the message in a way that their children will understand. Every child will grow up in the church and the covenant learning they are called to be prophets, priests, and kings. Parents remember that their children are baptized. And they ensure then that the education their children receive is consistent with what God has said to them. The pastors of the church will ensure that parents have what they need to do this to the best of their ability. Even providing special instruction in the faith. This, this month we may begin with catechism instruction in the church where we see our children as covenant children who belong, who are being brought up so that they know what God has said to them. So they may live with this confidence. The further consequence of baptizing infants is that through baptism, children are also called and obliged to a new obedience. 
our expectations, the children, are quite high. If you read the form for baptism, we could see that uh, there is a promise, but with the promise there is an obligation. Children must be serious. Children must have confidence in what God says. They must be strengthened in that. It's very nicely stated. Many years ago, we confess as children are baptized, we confess we are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust Him, to love Him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and with all our strength. That's a consequence of the promises we have received. We have the promise of everlasting life, and covenant children then will be exhorted to hold on to their Savior, to trust Him, to love Him, to love Him as the same one who, who first gave promises to them. For this reason, children as well, as a consequence, they will, they will pay attention. They will, they will hear their Lord and Savior speaking to them in the message, in the Sundays, the instruction that they receive. We do not love the world, but we put off our old nature. We lead a God-fearing life. You see, brothers and sisters, your baptism increases your responsibility. And that comes a lot to the young people as well as, we, as they grow older, as they, their minds as well, they begin to understand the concepts. Baptism doesn't take away your responsibility. The promises don't make you have less responsibility, but more responsibility. You know the path of life. You know how God has shown you how to live. You know the shame and the grief that is caused by sinful living. You are being taught by believing parents. You must glorify God. We state this very clearly because many times people who speak against the practice of infant baptism or what scripture teaches about infant baptism, they, they, they say that baptizing infants causes carelessness among young people. They point to continental reform churches where a lot of young people are living wild lives. A lot of young people are not showing a seriousness and a serious response to the gospel. And they say, look at this. Look what your infant baptism is doing. How is that good? Where's faith in all of this? It's good to pay attention to what is being said. It's also good to know that there's no part in the teaching of infant baptism that justifies the idea that it causes carelessness. Although we may question what's meant by carelessness, we maintain that sin against the Ten Commandments does not come from including children in the promises and demands of the covenant from their infancy. The rebellion against the Ten Commandments that we may see even in our young people is not a result of the teaching or the promises that they have received or the obligations they have received. How could that be? It's a result of sinfulness. 
It's a result of carelessness on the part of parents. It's a result of, of some type of thinking that accepts that this is a phase in life that's okay. When I read scripture, when I read what we confess about the covenant and about the sign of the covenant, nowhere can you see that this justifies carelessness. So as we hear these arguments, we do recognize our weakness. We confess our sins as parents, as young people, even as children. Sometimes when we all get together, we get led into wrong things. And as we confess our sins, we also remember another promise of the covenant. God says if sometimes through weakness we fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin. For baptism is a seal and trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. You see again our father with his arms open. See, my children, I give you these promises. Live in them, love them, trust me. And when you fall, come back to me. You've received marvelous promises from the mighty creator of heaven and earth. He is all-powerful. He is all-gracious. He sent his only son into this world to die, to pay for our sins. When you open your Bible, the confirmation of the promises is, is repeated. Every Sunday, it doesn't matter where the minister is preaching from Scripture, we are confirmed in the beauty of the promises that we receive in Jesus Christ. We see his providential care in our lives. The last few weeks, several of our members have suffered serious accidents and it has given us all pause, a moment to think about our own fragility as the fragileness of life. And, and we, we think about that and we realize we really live by the grace of God alone. It's his providence, it's his care. That's a confirmation of the promises that he spoke to us. Everything that God has promised was obtained by his son in Jesus Christ. When we read Corinthians, Paul really highlights that. He says that it's in chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, that it's God who establishes us with you in Christ, has anointed us, who has put his seal on us and given us spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It's a beautiful confirmation of everything that was spoken to us and over us in our baptism. And so we see then the difference. You go to a, a hospital, sometimes you see two babies from different families lying in the, in the cribs. They can both be sitting there, they can both be crying. And yet there's a difference between the child of believers and the child of unbelievers. One is born in a relationship with the covenant God. 
One has believing parents. One has the promises of God who shows his grace to him in Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, by God's grace, he said to each of you here that you are distinguished from the children of unbelievers. Those are powerful words that we can hear. God has set his seal of ownership on us. And he confirms that many times in our lives. And the question then comes to each of us as we are taught this, especially then children, teenagers, as you're taught this, as you hear this, as you hear the proclamation of the gospel, do you say amen to the promises during your life? Or do you say no thank you? You can use a bit of a picture to help us see this. I don't know how relevant the picture is. I trust that most of us have seen a, a Disney movie where you have often a young woman who's born as a princess, let's say, and then as they come, they, they don't really like that life and all the privileges that come, and, and, they, and they throw it off. They throw off the privileges of being a princess and the privilege of being rich, and they want to, they want to see the world. They want to do things on their own strength. And they're saying, I just want to be me. But in reality, they are only following a little part of themselves, which is their, their hearts, their emotions, their feelings. They're ignoring their position. They're ignoring the privileges that they were born with. They're ignoring the responsibilities that they have in their lives. Your baptism reminds you that you were born in the kingdom of God Almighty, the kingdom of Christ's blood, with all its privileges, with all its responsibilities. And as you live your lives, you need to heed the call of your king. And every time you think about that and you remember that and you bow your head under the yoke of Christ, we read that this morning, it's, a, it's an easy yoke, but it is a yoke that will lead you to different places. Every time you submit to Christ, every time you give of your time and, and energy to strengthening God's kingdom, then you're confirming the message that God spoke to you in your baptism. You're confirming that you belong to him. You're confirming that you recognize him as your king. So daily we confirm the promises either by being where we belong or by saying no thank you. So when we reflect on baptism as children growing up as teenagers and as adults we stand amazed. We stand amazed that we could receive the sign of the covenant. 
that it remains with us each and every day. And we pray that the Lord will continue to work in our lives each and every day. Every morning when we wake up, we pray that we may be able to once again confirm the reality that Christ Jesus has obtained for me. Lord, help me to remain in you with thanksgiving. It was God's will to set you apart, to place you in his covenant, to receive all the promises of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And I could say it to you all, very young, very old, you belong. You belong to God's covenant and congregation. Amen. We'll now respond by singing Psalm 103, stanzas 5, 6, and 7. We'll sing this psalm as standing, if you're able to stand. Psalm 103, stanzas 5, 6, and 7. And you can see it in the combines. 